Hi, and welcome to season five of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. It's Bob again. I've got 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, and I've got Amy Morin with me today. Amy, why 13 things? Those were really the 13 that I I just felt like I was done when I got to number 13. It really had nothing. The number 13 was of no particular significance other than I felt like my list was complete when I got there. You know, that that kind of reminds me a little bit of your your approach in this book or, or what you're trying to get across is like, look at when you get there, you're done. You get over it. Don't oh, we should do 14 because 13 is bad luck. And all this BS going in your head, that's basically holding you back. That's it exactly, that we do have a lot of bad habits. that They're counterproductive to our, to our good habits. And you can second guess and um, you know rethink almost everything you do. But when you do all that, it just keeps you from, from moving forward. No, no. You know, let's dig down a little bit to, to you know, so people can really to get to grips with how, uh, and this is probably the wrong term, pandemic this is globally. Is this something um, based on our past for being cavemen? Or is it just that the world is going at such a crazy speed, people really don't feel like there's any control anymore? Good question. You know, I think a lot of it is, because uh, some people will say to me, well, isn't this common sense advice or isn't this wisdom that you say your grandmother would have told you? And I think it is. And I think that technology and our digital world and everything that's gone on has sort of caused us to forget a lot of the the basics. And we focus so much on having good habits and nobody really talks about, well, what are the counterproductive things that you're doing that that might be outweighing your good habits. And I tell people mental strength is a lot like physical strength. You need to have good habits. Like if you wanted to become physically fit, maybe you'd start working out or going to the gym, but you'd also have to give up your bad habits like eating too much junk food. And I think we do the same with mental strength that we focus so much on. I got to have all these good habits that we forget. Well, I also got to get rid of my bad habits that are counterproductive to all the the hard work I'm putting in and I think sometimes we become like that hamster in the wheel and we just keep trying to run faster and faster and faster but we're not getting anywhere Mm, you know that you're hitting you're hitting a nail on the head for me because you know I've been going to the gym now (laughs) for two (laughs) years and I have a really bad habit of later in the day just I can't stop eating. And I go to see my doctor. He says, Bob, how about some self-will here? I have a nice, tough doctor. Um, mm-hmm. And really, that's what you're saying is like, sure, that a lot of these things make sense. This common sense is, yeah, of course, duh, I should be doing that. But people aren't. So how can people do? You know, how, how can they do it? Do they just do a little bit at a time? Do they choose one of the 13 things and try and conquer that? Or should they be trying to conquer all 13 well, you know, it's interesting when I hear people's reaction when they read my book is some people will say, you know, I, I thought, boy, I probably don't do any of these things. And then when I started to dive a little deeper, I thought, well, I do that one sometimes or or this particular one only applies in my professional life because in my personal life, I don't do that. But it seems to be everybody has certain um, certain difficulties. Um, and I think it changes over the course of our life, too. Maybe, you know, when when your life is going well, it's easy not to resent anybody else's success. You can celebrate right along with them. But then when you run into a roadblock, whether you lose your job or 
something tragic happens, then it's harder to celebrate with other people and maybe you become resentful of their success. And so I think it's important to, to be aware of them and to know that just because it's not a problem now doesn't mean it won't be a problem down the road, but to focus on the one or two things that you really want to work on now because you know, trying to tackle 13 things at once, it would just be overwhelming. But to, to pick out the few that you think that you could work on and focus your energy on right now and to make those a priority. And then once you start practicing good habits and getting rid of those bad habits, then after a while, it sort of becomes like second nature and it doesn't feel like work anymore. It just becomes part of who you are and, and what you do on a daily basis. Mm. Um, let's talk a little bit about, about how to tackle this book because it's kind of one of these books because it's got 13 things and like you just said, you don't have to do all 13. Can I just jump to, you know, go to the, an area and, and say, oh, this looks like one of the habits I want to deal with and just read that chapter or should I kind of read the front or, or should I read it back to front? How, how, how should I tackle the book? Well, I would hope that everybody would read my introduction because it explains my backstory that I'm a therapist, but I also come by this list very honestly that, you know, I was, when I was 23, my mother had passed away suddenly. And then on the three year anniversary of her death, my 26 year old husband died of a heart attack. And if you fast forward a few more years, my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And that's what really led me to, to write this list as a, as a letter to myself. And so hopefully people will read the introduction to get all the more details. And it sort of gives you an overview of what mental strength is and describes how to how to build mental strength. And then after that, each chapter does sort of stand on its own. It gives you um, an overview. And, and one thing that people can do, too, that some people are finding helpful is in the beginning of every chapter, there's a little bit of a quiz that sort of asks you these questions like, you know, do you um, do these things or how many of these things apply to you? Because sometimes people will think, well, I'm not a people pleaser. But then when they read that quiz, they think, oh, well, I do some of those things on the list. And and then they um, realize maybe it does apply to them more than they thought. So it can build some self-awareness. But if somebody gets to a chapter and then you read over that quiz and you think, boy, that doesn't apply to me and you're pressed for time, you can certainly skip to the next chapter and each chapter will, will stand on its own. And it, each chapter ends with a list of helpful tips of what to do and what not to do and what's helpful and what's not helpful. So at the very least, um, those bulleted lists can certainly um, help anybody figure out, well, what sort of things can I start applying to my life today? Mm. Let's talk a little bit about self-delusion here because, uh, you know, in, in dealing with improving yourself, there's a lot of self-delusion out there where they say, I'm going to do this. And then they pick the, you know, number seven and they start working on it. And, and then, you know, two weeks later, it's not for me. And then they, they stop. Do you think that's a fundamental problem with people that they just don't stick with it? And how long should somebody stick with something until it becomes a habit? Yeah, good question. And, you know, there's a reason my number 13 is that people don't expect immediate results because I think our our digital world makes it that we expect no lines, no waiting, everything should happen at the touch of a button, but self-growth doesn't happen at that sort of a pace. But we've become impatient as a society, and so I think to figure out every day, what's one thing I can do today to sharpen my skills? And you don't have to be perfect, obviously, but to know when you go to bed at night, as long as you can say, what's one thing I did to to build mental strength, or what's one step I took to become stronger? then you know that, okay, I'm working in the right direction and that I'm making progress. And and to know that progress isn't always in a straight line. Sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back. And so in my book, I talk a lot about how, to, how, to, how do you judge progress and how do you set a realistic goal? 
Um, you know, unlike if you wanted to lose weight, you can step on the scale every day and you sort of get immediate feedback about how you're doing. But with mental strength, it's obviously much more abstract. There's not a tangible thing you can do to say, how am I doing? So it's really all about self-reflection and figuring out, am I growing stronger? Am I doing better? Am I becoming more like the person I want to be? And I try to add some tips on how do you, how do you make that more tangible and how do you make it so it does become a habit? And I think we have this big myth that habits either take 21 days or 28 days and that once you do something for that long, it, it just becomes an innate and you'll just do it every day. But when you think about that on a logical level, that doesn't make sense, right? If I wanted to create a habit of eating ice cream for breakfast every day, I could probably make that a habit in about three days, right? Because <laughs> I love ice cream. wouldn't be that hard for me to do. But if I wanted to, say, get up at four in the morning and run three miles, boy, I can't tell you, three weeks, I don't think that that would be automatic for me to, you know, jump out of bed and, and run three miles, especially I live in Maine where the weather is <laughs> Arctic cold. And so, but if you just think about it from that standpoint to know that just because you're doing something uh, over and over again, don't expect there to be an automatic time limit because I think that sets us up for failure if we think, well, in three weeks, if I keep doing this every day for three weeks, by the end of that, it's going to be a habit and it's not going to be hard anymore. But if you underestimate how hard something's going to be, or if you overestimate how great you are and how, how you're going to be able to do this, no problem, it really sets you up for failure. So to try to look at it realistically and to know, okay, this is going to be hard and it's going to take time, but I can do it. Mm. It's like long fortitude, you know, the, the ability to say, this is my goal, and however long it takes, that's however long it's going to take. And that's really where we're getting into the, the title of your book, which is uh, Mental Strength. So how do people build up that mental strength, the ability to believe in themselves, believe in their goals, and push past their gremlins or their relatives or their second guessing? How do you actually do that? Mental strength, it's, it's a three-pronged approach to build mental strength. It's about thinking realistically so that your thoughts aren't exaggeratedly negative or even overly positive because either one of those can set us up for failure. If you walk into an interview assuming you're not going to get the job, well, it's going to shine through in your behavior. But also if you walk into an interview thinking, well, I've got this wrapped up, this won't be a problem, maybe then you didn't prepare for it or you don't think about the questions you're going to ask because you're too overconfident. And so it's really about figuring out how do you have a realistic outlook. And the second part is is about our emotions. It's figuring out how do I control my emotions so that my emotions don't control me and figuring out how do you cope with uncomfortable feelings and how do you, it's okay to feel uncomfortable, but also how do you act contrary to your emotions sometimes? If you don't feel like doing something, how do you do it anyway? And the third part is our behavior to figure out how do you behave productively despite whatever circumstances you find yourself in. And so sometimes that means getting up and getting off the couch and going and doing something when you're tired. Or maybe it means even though you're angry about something that you're not going to yell and scream and vent and make a fool out of yourself, you're going to choose to do something that will help the situation. So it's really about those three things, your thoughts, feelings, and behavior. And once you start to really examine, okay, what 
where are some of the areas I can improve? Then you can start to make a plan and, and there's exercises you can do. So I, some people will say, well, it's really my negative thinking that holds me back. There's lots of ways you can then learn to recognize your, your thoughts. We don't think much about our thoughts because it just seems sort of like a ridiculous concept anyway, because you think, well, it's just what goes on in my head. But that inner monologue that you have all day plays a huge role in how you behave. So figuring out how do you start to change the way that you think and and it's completely possible but it takes practice or for people who tend to have their emotions are sort of up and down and out of control and they fly off the handle one minute and they're crying the next or they worry a lot to figure out okay how do you deal with those uncomfortable emotions more in a productive way um, and that you don't always have to be happy in life but that you can be in control of your emotions and you don't always have to be sad or angry and those sorts of things and then for our behavior some people it's just ingrained in them to to avoid problems or they run in the other direction um, when confrontation comes up so you figure out well how do you, how is my behavior playing into some of the problems in my life and how do I learn how to behave more productively so that I can overcome challenges and deal with adversity more effectively. And sometimes changing your behavior then gives you a different outlook in the way that you see the world, because often our behavior sort of becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. If you, if you think that you're not good, then you're not going to do things that are challenging to you and you're not going to be able to achieve your dream. So it's a matter of figuring out how all those three things work together and how you can use them to become, become your best self and reach your greatest potential. Hmm. Is this something that you can do by yourself or uh, should you have somebody that uh, you can go to to bounce ideas off or mentor or actually have the courage to go to somebody and say, what, what are my problems? Or do you think I'm like this and actually get some feedback? Because I think for a lot of people, they need that. I think so too. I think best case scenario would be that we would have people in our lives who can honestly give us feedback because it's really hard to examine yourself and to know how do other people see me. So somebody might say, well, you know, I'm engaging and I'm friendly and everybody likes me, but people might actually think you're obnoxious or you're a jerk and you won't know that. And so for people to then be able to give you feedback on, well, this is how you come across to others. Or, you know, when when you have a problem, you do tend to feel sorry for yourself or you call everybody you know and you're complaining about life rather than fixing your problems. And so sometimes that can really help us gain insight. And of course, whenever we're making any kind of change in life, whether it be that we wanted to lose weight or that we, we want to... Uh, start our own business, to be able to have supportive people who, who can coach you and who can talk you, um, talk to you when you've had a bad day. So you can say, Hey, this is going on. What do I do? If you have somebody who can offer you some sound advice, that can be huge. And especially, you know, when our emotions are out of control, sometimes other people can help us balance out that with, with a more logical way of looking at things. So when we're really worried about something and you bounce something off of a friend and your friend can say, well, hey, look, that's just one possible solution, but there's 99 other things that could happen. So get a grip. Sometimes that bounces us back into reality where we say, oh, okay, and, and we figure out how do I move forward from here? So I do think that that would all be wonderful if everybody had that in their life and that you had a support team, but not everybody has that. So to figure out how do you, how do you then seek out positive people to surround yourself with or people with similar goals? Because if you've got a family who maybe is, 
tends to dwell on the negative, it's they can drag you down fast. So it's, sometimes it's a matter of purposely seeking out positive mentors and people who have similar goals to you and other people who are interested in mental strength and, and just knowing that you have somebody to hold you accountable and somebody that you can talk to when you're struggling can often make all the difference in the world to keep you motivated and keep you going on those days where you don't feel like it. You know, it, it's uh, you touched on some some interesting stuff there, and for me, what I I you know, I was thinking, yeah, but what happens if the people you go to are the wrong people? And so, do you take people's advice with a grain of salt? That they say, you know, Bob, you're just way too positive, and that pisses me off. And you go, know, God, maybe I should be too positive. <laughs> then you start second guessing yourself. Um, it, it's it's so difficult to know where the baseline is and and to be you know you've talked a lot about you know be conscious and and be aware of things which for sure you can do but for people that i would say a lot of people they have a hard time understanding what that consciousness is when are they really being honest with themselves uh people i think are constantly in an, an in a an, um, delusional state and if they're having hard emotional times, that's just being fortified. How do you break out of that? How, how do you step back from yourself if you only have yourself to work with or the people you talk to, you don't like their response too much <laughs> and say, well, I don't think that person's right or, or, okay, I get that, but they seem to be on the negative side. So, you know, you kind of have to analyze what they're saying and where they're coming from and what their background is as well. It's pretty tricky stuff. So how... And, you know, this is like a long way around this basic question is, mm-hmm. how do you baseline yourself? How do you say, okay, I am centered now. How do I feel? Well, you know, I think my dream for everybody would be that we, everybody would seek professional help when necessary. And I wish that, uh, you know, I'm a therapist by nature, so I wish that therapy was didn't have the same stigma attached, just like we go to, to the, most of us go to your doctor once a year to get an annual checkup. It would be wonderful if we all went to see a, a therapist once a year for an annual checkup, just to say, hey, this is what's going on in my life and to have an objective person be able to give you somewhat of a, of a reality check or to at least reinforce, yeah, you're on the right track. That would be wonderful if we, if we all had that, but clearly most people don't. So then I think you're right that you got to take what other people offer you with a grain of salt. And, you know, number two on my list of what mentally strong people don't do is give away their power. And by that, it's, you don't let somebody else define who you are or who you're going to be. So when you get criticism from somebody, whether it's your, your mother-in-law or your brother to know that, well, maybe they have a hidden agenda or maybe they're not objective either. Or if it's a family member, they may not ever see you in your professional life. And so they're just giving you feedback based on what they've seen in your family interactions and that sort of thing. And so I do think it's helpful to elicit feedback, but, but to be able to say, okay, well, they see it this way, but would, does that mean that they are of the opinion of most people? Is it 90% of people might agree with them or is it more like 10% of people or to ask yourself, well, you know, what would other people in my life likely say? And even if you can't ask them, sometimes we know just inherently by saying, well, you know, what would my, cousin say about this or what, how would my neighbor describe me? And sometimes we can come up with at least an idea. Um, 
but to know, okay, well, just because somebody thinks, well, you know, you should change doesn't mean you have to, but I do think it's important to get feedback and then you just use it to sort of apply to your own life as what is it that I think, what do I agree with? What are the things that I think I could be doing differently? And then how do I become my, my best self? And it's not always, um, it's not always going to be what other people think you should be doing. It's more about to know what your values are and to know that you're living according to your values. And at the end of the day, if you can say, okay, I was living according to my values, then you know, okay, I'm on the right path again. So it's more about figuring out what is it that you want in life, take the feedback with a grain of salt, but to then have goals as far as how you want to grow and stretch too. Hmm. Um. You know, dealing with with stress and and um, uh, mental issues. I don't know what the proper term is, but um, you know, you're super stressed out and you say you're at your wit's end. There's all sorts of uh, free resources that are available to you. At least here in Canada, there are. You know, if if you're having a, a mental crisis, you can go to any hospital and say, "Hi, I just want to have a session with somebody." Uh, and they'll say, okay, great. Well, every Wednesday at three o'clock, we have a group session. You can come and talk to these people and it's everybody sharing. Do you recommend something like that? You know, I always think stuff like that too. If, if it's something that could help you grow stronger, go at least once, try it. And, you know, here in the United States, we always have tons of support groups. Sometimes people have insurance that will cover therapy, some don't. But to know, or at least at the very least, talk to your doctor and say, hey, I'm struggling with these things. And the statistics on how many doctor's visits are actually stress-related, people go in with whether it's chest pain or um, just about any medical issue. And it's something like somewhere between 75 and 90% of doctor's visits are actually due to stress. Yet the vast majority of people never even mention stress to their doctor. So it's a really interesting situation. And so to know that at least at the very least, bring it up with your doctor and say, hey, I'm struggling with these things. What do you recommend? And your doctor may have plenty of free resources that, that you could start today. And so to just know what's what's available out there and, and to take a look, it can't hurt anything. Mm. Well, you know, and let's let's debunk people's strange paranoia about, oh my God, I can't tell anybody that I'm going to psychotherapy because then everybody's going to think I'm crazy and nuts and won't like me. Um, <laughs> because, let's face it, that's how everybody thinks. Is, is that inherently ingrained in us because of what we're exposed to through uh, TV programs or is it just because we're um, opening ourselves to a professional that other people will look at us differently? Or is it just that other people are scared of that and then they get threatened by you because you have the strength to do that? Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple different schools of thought and it's sort of a different cultural issue. For plenty of people, it's there's a stigma still attached to, to seeking help and for mental health issues or mental illness. For, you know, and then it seems to be in other cultural areas, it's sort of a cool thing to do. Everybody has a shrink. And so you go talk to your therapist and and your friends all know because it's something that everybody seems to do. So it really depends, I think, on where you live and who you're surrounded by. And But to know that yeah, I try to make a big difference in my book to really separate the fact that mental health and mental strength are two separate things and that we all have opportunities to build resilience to stress and we can live a lifestyle that tries to promote mental health. But sometimes there's a biological factor too that people are just born with a genetic predisposition for depression or anxiety or ADHD, those sorts of things. But to know how do you 
how can you still be strong even when you have depression? And you absolutely can be. Some of the most, the strongest people I've ever met have been the people sitting in my office and they're struggling with mental health problems and all sorts of in- incredibly stressful things in their life, but that they're still doing really well and that they're still striving to be stronger. And so, but to know that getting help is all about about a choice in life and that it it is about I'm, I want to better my life and that there's nothing to be embarrassed about by saying I want to I be a better person and I want to grow stronger. Um, yet, unfortunately, a lot of people do suffer in silence and don't, and don't dare to seek help. But it's really, it takes courage sometimes to be willing to take that step for sure. Hmm. What can people do if they are like that? And, and uh, you know, the reason I ask is because I've, I've dealt with the same problem. And the thing that got me out of it was physical exercise. That's a, an amazing way to actually get rid of stress. I mean, if you're constantly sitting down, your body physically can't get rid of that stress because you're not moving enough. You've got to sweat. You've got to be moving forward. You've got to um, basically get your body busy so your brain can think about other things it seems counterproductive but really that's the way it is if 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 you're working at a desk and you've got all these things like email and the phone and uh stress stress stress, and there's your calendars blinking at you you you, it's a very very hard time to de-stress or or step out of yourself but when i'm on a treadmill and, and you know working out my mind explodes and all these things come back to me and things that I've forgotten and uh, ideas. It's, it's revolutionary for me. So do you think physical exercise uh, is a fundamental problem that people have? Yeah. And I try to talk a little bit about that in my book too, that you can want to be mentally strong all you want, but if you're not taking care of your physical body, it's impossible. And so whether it's to get exercise, we know there's tons of research on all the great things exercise does, not just for your body, but also your brain and your emotions, but also sleep. So many people are chronically sleep deprived. Well, you can't think clearly if, if you're exhausted. And so to know it's really important to make sure you're getting plenty of sleep. And same with our diet. If you're, if you're eating junk food all the time, and not taking care of, of your body's nutritional needs, you can't you can't think and feel and, and manage your stress and all those sorts of things. And so it's imperative that you take steps to to take care of your your body and your physical health before you even really start to focus on on taking care of your mental strength because you can't become mentally strong unless you're already taking the steps to take care of of your physical needs. Mm. One step at a time. And you know, right. you know, you know, oh, look, I'm going to the gym three times a week. Uh, I'm walking more regularly. You know, I, I'm taking the dog for a walk instead of the kids doing it. It's anything you can do. Uh, it can be as little as 20 minutes of walking a day. So really, you know, don't get in your car to go go to the grocery store. Walk to the grocery store, and just by doing that and making that a habit, that's going to enable you to tick that one off the list and then, hey, let's try another one and then let's try another one and and who knows, you know, in in 13 months or or two years, you might have gone through all 13 things and you're going to be a much better person for it. Yeah, that's just it. Sort of figure out how do you start applying these things in a a realistic, in in a slow manner, but also how do you how do you just start incorporating it into your life? And if you make mental strength a priority, along with all the other things, you know, we often have so many competing priorities in life, obviously your family and and your job and taking care of, of your physical health. But if you can also make mental strength up there in the priority list that as you become stronger, life's challenges become 
a lot easier. And so it's one of those, it's a catch 22, but you got to put it, put in the effort up front, but then life gets better and you're able to conquer these milestones that perhaps you never even dreamed of before that you could, you could overcome and that you're able to, to become somebody that you maybe dreamed of being or thought, boy, it would be nice to be able to, to deal with problems like that. But suddenly when you become that person, life just gets so much easier. And so it's really an investment, I think, into your future to be able to say, okay, I'm going to invest the time and energy now, knowing that on the other side, once I increase my mental strength, life is going to become so much better. And so when people have that faith to know, okay, if I can put in this time now that life gets better, then they're not going to be disappointed in the results that they see. I want to talk to you about that because that's a really big thing. Um, because let's say, you know, we're doing these things in life, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with life, I'm going, and it may be better in comparison to what I was like a year ago or five years ago. But in a person's reality and their day-to-day angst, a lot of times they don't feel that it's better, even though they are doing amazing well because they've got bigger challenges or new challenges. And I think a lot of people, they go, oh, yeah, I'll do that, and then life will be better, and then everything's cool, and I can be lazy again. It's like, no, it's that's not mental strength. <laughs> that's that's crazy. <laughs> you guys basically say, this is the way I'm going to tackle my days. This is the way I'm going to exercise and make it a, a way of life. And then as things get better, you'll still be struggling. It's not like you stop struggling. Life is about you know, you're born and you struggle getting frustrated and crying at people and screaming at people for 18 months until you can actually communicate to them. Your first years that you're you're a human being, very, very frustrating. You say, oh my God, if only I could walk. If only I could communicate to these stupid people that give me the wrong thing and ask me stupid questions. And then you get past that and then you're in school and say, oh, if only I could do this. If only. And your life is full of if onlys. So... I think part of mental strength is realizing that it's never going to go away. So how do people get their head around, like, get on with life? It's it's the, this merry-go-round. It doesn't stop. You just got to keep going. Yeah, well, that's a good point because I think often we really focus on my life will be better when and, and we forget to enjoy life now. Mm. And so to know that you can work on becoming better today, it's a balance between accepting yourself, okay, and accepting your situation for the reality of what it is, but also growing stronger and striving to become better at the same time. But to know that, yeah, when you're mentally strong, it's not a magic cure. It won't make problems go away and it won't make, uh, you know, challenges avoid you. You'll still encounter adversity in life, but it'll be to like a different level so that maybe some of the, the minor issues in life that used to be really irritating to you, you learn how to brush those things off or you learn how to, how to use a lot of your skills to a, to your advantage now. And so you will conquer some problems, but you'll definitely continue to encounter new ones and, you know, struggles and suffering, doesn't stop. And when they do, that probably means that you're not on the earth anymore. Because as long as we're here, there's going to be problems. And and tackling those problems is often what life is all about. And so to figure out how do I, how do I keep moving forward? And how do I keep working on tackling the next hurdle, even when we're tired, or we don't feel like it, or we think, oh, what next? But 
again, when you're mentally strong, you can look at things sort of through a new lens. And so even when you can't change your problems, you can change your attitude. And when, when you're mentally strong, it becomes much easier to, to figure out which one. Because I think a lot of times in life, we waste energy figuring out, do I change the problem or do I change my attitude? But when you have mental strength, it becomes easier to recognize which problems to tackle and which ones to know. You just got to change your attitude and, and move forward in life. Yeah, a, a, a truer words could not be said. Uh, it's really all about Okay, I had a problem five years ago and I got rid of those problems and now I have a problem today. And you know what? I'm going to trash that problem and I'm going to keep moving forward. It's the, it's the ability to have to go back and say, what's my track record like? It's, once again, it goes all the way back to how conscious am I, am I? And not dwelling on your past, but saying, okay, I was messed up and I'm over that now. And gosh, I know I can do it again. It gives you the confidence to move forward. That's just it. Every time we successfully tackle a problem, it gives us a little bit, a little bit of uh, of confidence, and it reassures us. Okay, I can do this. And then when you have a bigger problem in life, you can draw on. Okay, well, I solved all of these other issues, or I dealt with this really hard problem in my past. So now I know I've got the skills and the tools I need to conquer problems, and and it just gives us more confidence when you know life's inevitable tragedies come our way unfortunately at some point or another we're all going to experience big problems too whether it be a loss of a loved one or you know your house burns down in a fire or whatever it might be to know that if you've been practicing these things all along you can be resilient and you can bounce back and you can still move forward in life and, and be a happy and a content person despite whatever life throws your way hmm. let's talk a little bit about um you know, the business environment. Uh, a lot of people struggle with careers. Uh, a lot of people struggle with uh, the ability to deal with other people that they're forced to work with. How can some of these strengths be utilized in an office scenario? Good one, because I think that is a huge one that people come home and what do they do when they walk in the door at the end of their work day? Most people, they start complaining about their coworkers or their boss or everything that they had to do that day. And it spills over into our personal lives. And when you think, too, about how many hours you spend at work compared to how many hours you probably spend with your your family or your friends, I mean, your coworkers and your supervisors, you're really probably going to spend more time with a lot of them than you are the people that you choose to have in your life. And so number two on my list of what mentally strong people don't do is that they don't give away their power. And that one becomes a, a major issue at work. So to know that just because your boss may be has the power of your paycheck doesn't mean that you have to then say, you know, your boss owns you. So for example, sometimes people will say things like, well, my boss makes me work late. Well, the truth is your boss doesn't make you work late. Sure. There's a consequence. Maybe if you cut out of work early or you leave on time, maybe your job would be at risk, but nobody's forcing you to work late. And so sometimes just changing the language that you use can be really instrumental in changing the way that you feel about your job. So to remind yourself, no, I'm choosing to work late because I want to keep my job and that it's a choice and it's a choice to, to come to work every day because so often we think, well, I have to go to work tomorrow. No, you don't have to. The The joy of, of living in wonderful parts of the world is, is that you're fortunate enough to have a job and you can get up every day and choose to go to work, but you could also choose not to. And there's consequences that, that you'll pay if you don't go to work, but again, it's a choice. And the other thing that people do is they'll often blame other people for how they feel. So somebody might say, my coworker makes me feel so bad about myself. 
But again, I encourage people to stop and think about that statement. Your coworker doesn't make you feel anything about yourself. Maybe you have a critical coworker who, who says rude things to you, but to take back your power and recognize that your coworker is not forcing you to feel anything. Maybe your coworker influences how you feel, but you can still be in 100% control over your emotions. And other times people will say, you know, I have to, I yelled at somebody so-and-so at work today because, you know, they, they made me mad or they angered me or they bring out the worst in me. But to know you're in control of your behavior too. And that if you can conduct yourself with, in a way that you're proud of at the end of the day, that really that's what makes all the difference is to know that other people aren't going to bring out the worst in you. Or, you know, we all work with difficult people at one time or another, but to use that as a challenge for yourself to say, how can I work with this person and and use it as an opportunity for self-growth rather than allowing this person to drag me down? Mm. Yeah, it's, you know, I've got a... I've got a couple things going for me in the sense that uh, I, I can take a lot and I internalize way too much. Uh, and then, you know, I'll blow up on somebody and basically take them out of the knees. But then, you know, a couple hours later, I'll, I'll feel bad for that person because it was it's a lethal experience. And I'm, I'm sure they're not feeling very happy about me or not happy about themselves. So I will go back and say, you know what, that was a little online. Uh, I'm sorry I got angry, but this is why. You know, I've been frustrated with you. I've been bottling it up. I've been bottling it up. And it just came out today. Um, so we have to fix this because I don't want to do this to you every month. I'm sure you don't want that to happen to you. And either they accept it or they don't. They can push you away and say, okay, then you're going to get blown up on every now and again. That's your decision. And it goes back to taking life and being able to step away and being like a father or a mother to yourself and say, what's the best moral thing to do to move forward in this situation? And it's kind of weird that you have to kind of step out of yourself to be able to guide yourself. And I think this book enables people to do that a lot more. Well, I hope so. And I think you're right. I always try to tell people to ask yourself, what would I say to my friend who had this problem? Because, you know, we tend to give our friends, you know, that sort of wisdom that maybe our mother or father would too, but to know that when you sort of take that emotion out of it, you can offer logical advice to other people. So to just be able to give yourself that, your own advice to say, okay, well, if my friend came to me and said she was going through X, Y, and Z, what would I tell her to do? Or she said, boy, you know, I have this presentation coming up tomorrow. It's, I'm going to make a fool out of myself. You probably wouldn't say, yeah, you are. You're going to embarrass yourself, right? Hopefully you'd say, no, you know, you're, you've got all these skills and, and you're going to do great and let's practice. And you'd offer some words of encouragement. So to just offer yourself those same words of encouragement and to figure out how do you, what advice would you give to a friend to solve the problem? And then take your own advice to figure out how do I, how do I stay in control of this situation and what can I do to make it better? What sort of responsibility do I bear in, in fixing and fixing it and working on a solution rather than just becoming part of the problem? You know, it's fascinating. I was listening to you there and uh, I was thinking, yeah, but Nobody listens to themselves. Nobody believes themselves. <laughs> I mean, come on. It, it's, it, it, you, you believe total strangers when they say, man, you're being a real jerk. Whoa, geez, maybe I was a real jerk. But if you say man, to yourself, man, I'm being a real jerk, you say, ah, come on. Don't be so hard on yourself. So it's, it's how does one get there, believe in themselves? It's almost like what we were talking about earlier. You have to have somebody that you trust or several people of different personality types that you can talk to and say, hey, do you think I'm being a jerk this month? Or have I been an asshole this week? Or do you think I'm driving a, a truck too aggressively? Or 
you know, to ask these fundamental questions and hope that they give you some very straight answers. So eventually you can start to wean yourself at having to go to these people all the time and say, well, if I asked Joe this, what would he say? Uh, he would say that. You know what? Maybe I should deal with that without having to bother Joe one more time. Well, yeah, I think you're right. Again, to be able to get try to get feedback and, you know, one of the issues is sometimes, for example, aggressive people get their needs met in life because they behave like a jerk. So they boss other people around and people will give in to them because not because they like them, but just because they don't want you to yell at them. So then sometimes aggressive people are like, wow, what I'm doing is really effective because I'm getting my needs met. But in the end, nobody likes them. And so sometimes it's a matter of, you know, really evaluating, evaluating your relationships to know that even if you don't get everything you want. I mean, do people like you? Are people friendly? Do people want to eat lunch with you? It's not just about, you know, do I earn the most money at work or do I get everything done? But also, you know, how are my relationships with people? And and if you don't have anybody in your life that you can bounce things off of, maybe that's a clue sometimes too of, gee, what am I doing? And how could I start to incorporate that and to try to elicit more honest feedback from people? Mm. Am I being human? Right. You know, that's a biggie. Right. So let's ask you a question here. You know, you've been doing this obviously quite a long time. You, you have uh, some pretty interesting credentials um, and you've got a very interesting past. But that aside, when you were putting this book together, you know, from your brain onto paper, because that's a transitional period, um, what was your aha moment? Oh, I don't know that anybody's asked me that. That's a great question. Hmm. Yeah, well, because, you know, the I had written this, it started out as a blog post that went crazy viral. I had written this list as a letter to myself when I was going through all this stuff. And then it, it uh, I published it to the web thinking, oh, maybe it'll help somebody else. I never dreamed that it would be read by millions and millions of people. And Forbes picked it up and it got read by 10 million more people. So it and then I got the opportunity to write a book. And so then it was an interesting experience to try to turn a blog post into a book. And I think for me, a lot, the aha moment maybe was a combination of two things. When I really started digging into the research, it was things that I knew as a therapist. I knew these things were true and I knew these things were helpful to avoid these things. But when I really started digging into the research and kept finding more and more things that really just reinforced the importance of gratitude, for instance, what a simple, easy thing we could all do is to exchange self-pity for gratitude. And the more I kept reading about all of the things that just be having a grateful attitude in life can make you live longer. It improves everything from your hypertension to, to how your brain works. It really influences everything and it costs no money. And so that was one huge aha moment for me. And And as a reminder too, that simply, I knew that anybody who was able to read my book is doing light years better than most people on the planet. Because if you're reading it, number one, you're literate. How many people in the world can't read? And if also, if you were able to get my book, means that you either had the money to buy it or you had a, a nice enough friend to lend it to you, or maybe you have a library in your town where you could get it. And so I just thought, man, compared to all the people on the planet, anybody who's able to read my book already has such an advantage, I think, compared to a lot of people on earth. And so I really... Just, I think that was a big aha moment for me is just realizing how fortunate I am not to just be writing this book, but to, for all the other things I have in life that, you know, I have clean water and I have the ability to, to read and write and 
clean air to breathe, just certain basic things in life. I think it was a wonderful reminder of all that I have. And I was certainly grateful to have had this opportunity to write a book as well. Yeah, you know, us in in the first world um, are extremely uh, unconscious of actually what struggling is. And you, right. you know, this, this meme that's been going around first world problem, like, Oh, right. my latte is cold. <laughs> oh, my life is tragic. It's like, God, you right. know, and, and, you know, it's like, get a life. And one of the biggest things I think a person can do to become more conscious of how amazing their life is, is to travel more. And I'm not saying, oh, you have to go to the ghettos of Bangkok. I mean, you can go and just drive around in your city in the rough part of town. For people Mm -hmm. that are in this society and are basically struggling to survive, that don't know when their next meal will be, or they are hooked on some horrible, addictive uh, drug, or like alcohol. And they really don't have the luxuries that you have in your life. But they have the same problems you do. They have the same brain that you do. And they could read this book and get amazing benefits from it, just like you could. So how could somebody not realize that, like you're saying, they have all the advantages? And I think a major problem people have is they look at other people that are doing better than them and compare their life to it. Um, And then you're never satisfied. It's like, wow, I I have a beautiful family. I live in a beautiful country. All these positive things are happening. And yet I say, oh, he's got more than me. I'm not happy with myself now. Oh, I'm not a good person. That is a fundamental problem. It really is, isn't it? That Instead of looking at all the all the people who don't have what we have. We look at the the few people that have more than we do. And we really judge how we're doing in life based on our comparison towards other people. And obviously that's the wrong way to live because then you suddenly start competing with your neighbor or you become in direct competition with people in your own family. So to know, you know, how do you cooperate with people in life? And then how do you help people who are less fortunate than you? And how do you remember those people and to know that you were blessed with certain things that other people can only dream about? And how do you, how do you help others rather than worrying about, you know, how big your house is or whether or not your, your car is as expensive as somebody else's? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's destroying the earth for sure. And it's, you know, it's, it's I've been mean, working with somebody and he used this wonderful thing. It's like working from the heart. So, you know, we were talking about bouncing ideas off people. If you can bounce ideas off, off your heart and saying, well, you know, how can I help these people? How can I do this, but also do it in a positive way? Doing stuff that, energizes you instead of uh, is based on uh, conniving or or negative-based energies. Right. You know, I think compassion is a wonderful thing. And the more we can develop our compassion muscles in life or or using our our energies to to create a greater good is uh, instrumental in our own happiness, too, that so often we, we just start looking towards how do we better ourselves rather than asking, you know, how can I make the world a better place or how can I make other people... Um, how can I make their life easier too? Mm, it's a win-win for sure. Um, before we go, what is one thing that uh, business people that are listening to this podcast can do today to move forward? One of my favorite things is to talk about risk and how do you how do you calculate risk? And it's 
rare that we even talk about how do you how do you calculate the risks that you take in life because often we base our our thoughts about how risky something is on our level of fear. So if we're really afraid of something, then we think something must be really risky. But our emotions when it comes to calculating risk are they're not a very good judge of how risky something actually is. And so I always invite people to really start thinking about how do you calculate risk in your life, whether we're talking about if you put on your seatbelt in the car or whether you drive or take an airplane or or whether you take a financial risk. Taking out a mortgage is a, is a risk, but also how, where do you put your investments and that sort of thing. And, you know, people deal with risk differently. Some people, you know, really try to calculate everything, reduce their risk to as much as they possibly can. And other people, it's, it's it's anxiety provoking just to think about the risk. So rather than spending any time thinking about it, they just become somewhat impulsive and, and jump in and do something. And so I always invite people to really start thinking about how is it that you calculate risk in your life? And, and then how do you judge how risky something was? Often we just really think, well, if it worked out well, it mu- I must have made the right choice. Well, the truth is maybe you got lucky sometimes too. So I think to figure out, to really analyze how you calculate risk in life and also when do you behave contrary to your emotion? Because sometimes we're, we're really nervous about something and sometimes we dive in anyway, but then to look at what areas in your life does your anxiety hold you back? So maybe you you don't want to become a speaker because you're afraid of public speaking, or maybe you haven't wanted to apply for that promotion because you're afraid of rejection. And so to just know what areas in your life could are you maybe not taking a risk that you could be, and if you did take that risk, even though it's anxiety provoking, what good could could come out of it? We've been chatting with Amy Morin. Thirteen things mentally strong people don't do: take back your power, embrace change face your fears and train your brain for happiness and success amy thanks for being on the show oh thanks very much for having me hey i hope you enjoyed that show and do me a favor and tweet about it follow us on facebook if you haven't done that already we really appreciate it see you next week